0: this is john williams reaching out to our old friend thomas jefferson president jefferson are you there good day to you citizen last we spoke you described how you would entertain people at your super bowl party i i don't suppose you or anybody that was at your party is hung over it was a it was a civil high-minded affair you may recall
1: well at monticello you know i have that wine waiter, and I think people would be quite attracted to that so after a bottle say of Chateau Echem, we would probably take a stroll in the gardens and you know observe the first fruits of the spring the grasses and the mm-hmm. the first flowers and then come back and then I would go to the wine dumb waiter, which was uh, hidden in my uh, mantle of my fireplace and, and pull with a cord another bottle up from the basement, it might be a beautiful Mont Rocher or, or, or Chambartin, and then we would serve that, and this would bring a, a level of mirth. Almost nobody at Monticello would get drunk, but if you were at any other place in Virginia, you probably could get so drunk that you would not be able to walk home at the end of the evening. You know, we There is a book about this uh, by a historian in your time called The Alcoholic Republic. And what he shows is that people in my time drank dramatically more than people in your time and that re- most people in my era were st- started to drink in the morning. They had some grog for breakfast and they had some ale for lunch and they had some applejack at the end of the day. And they were impaired, to use a term from your time, for much of the day through much of their lives.
0: Is that also because the water wasn't safe and so the alcohol was... At least you weren't going to get, you know, your stomach wasn't going to get sick from drinking the booze because the alcohol killed the germs.
1: Yes, I, I suppose you could say that that was one reason for it. But but even factoring the hygiene into it, the people of my era dr- simply just drank more and were drunk more than the average people of your time. But this was not the case at Monticello or James Madison's right. Montpelier. Right. I mean, we we were men of the Enlightenment. So... I don't think that I was ever intoxicated in the whole course of my life. Certainly not after my time at the College of William and Mary. And I regard wine as a as sort of drinkable art.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I don't want to dwell on it, but when last we spoke, we were kind of considering the Super Bowl party you would host.
1: You would. You, I-, I think you turned down my my
0: invitation. I went to the Hamiltons, and last we heard from you, you said, fine, go there, but keep your eye on your wife, was your advice to us if we go to the Hamiltons.
1: And not to be too uh, vulgar, but John Adams once said of Hamilton, there are not enough women in our republic to draw off his secretions.
0: Let's talk about the presidential campaign. I think here's where we are now. So you've got um, the, the big three on the Republican side are Rubio and then probably Trump and now Cruz. And on the Democrat side, you have Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. I will I will submit this to you, sir, that Republicans fear those two Democrats as much as Democrats fear those two Republicans for ascending to the White House, literally People get sick to their stomach with the idea that we would elect a socialist or a Clinton to the White House or any of those three. Rubio's the more palatable maybe of those. But I think people think, holy crap, are we screwed if any of the five get elected. And I'm wondering if you would be nervous for us or are there enough checks and balances that even a dumb, dumb president or a socialist can't can't screw it up?
1: Well, there are two ways to respond to that, John In my time, when I stood for the presidency in eighteen hundred against John Adams, uh, some of the same concerns were addressed I mean and not to sound too dramatic about it, but but the people who disliked me disliked me profoundly, and they believed that I was uh, the equivalent of Robespierre, so in your time, they might say the equivalent of Lenin from the Soviet Union or Marx or something. And, and people said that if I were elected president, that I would confiscate the Bibles of the people of the United States and that I would abolish Christianity. And one newspaper man said that our daughters would be thrown into houses of prostitution and, and so on, and there, that there would be children writhing on the pike. You know, In other words, I would bring about some sort of reign of terror like the one that had destroyed France. I was accused of being a an atheist, a, a cheater of Revolutionary War widows, a, a slaveholder, a rapist of of slave women. You can't imagine how much vitriol was uh, sent my way, and, and how many people, and I would say out of the six million Americans, something like three or four hundred thousand in the North felt that if I were elected, it would be the end of civilization. As we know it, and and they weren't just speaking in partisanship and rhetoric. They actually thought that I was an extremely dangerous man, who must be kept from the presidency of the United States. On the other hand, John Adams, though the incumbent, was thought to be somewhat eccentric and earthy, and that he was given to to fits of, of anger. But nobody regarded him as dangerous to the future of the republic. And so I suffered some under that in the election of 1800. When I became president, I I turned out to be a mild-mannered gentleman on the scholarly side of the spectrum and did nothing that could be regarded as very radical. But Mm. people had honest um, fear that I was as bad as your sanders is thought to be by the opposition or your cruz is thought to be by the people of the other party
0: didn't they know who you were you're thomas jefferson you you're the guy that launched the ships or however that saying goes you wrote the declaration of independence for crying out loud
1: but even when i was writing the declaration of independence in in late june 1776 in philadelphia there were members of the second continental congress who admired my scholarship and my prose style but thought I was just somehow a little too radical that, that I, I wasn't a natural rabble rouser like Patrick Henry or Sam Adams, but that somehow my ideas were turned out to be pretty radical for the nature of our independence movement, and so there was always some concern that I had maybe read too many books of the Enlightenment and taken <laughs> them too well, seriously, what- but... But I was, of course, a major figure. But even so, in the election of 1800, if you if you had been there, there would have been people saying to you, if this Jefferson is elected, America will collapse and this great experiment okay. in democracy will be gone.
0: But I have the advantage today of knowing that you're right. You were a mild-mannered, brilliant president. Kennedy said that when he had a bunch of Nobel laureates in one of the rooms of the White House that never before had so much brain power been in one place except for when Jefferson dined here alone or something like that
1: that was of uh, course a wonderful exaggeration but yes I was I, I i turned out to be a disappointment to those who thought that I was Beelzebub
0: <laughs> yeah but but I'm not okay and, and while we don't have a Beelzebub w- in the wings here I'm telling you what um Donald Trump is no Thomas Jefferson and Ted Cruz <laughs> is too pedantic he's he's Cruz is actually in some ways scarier. He's so zealous, uh, scarier than Trump. And on the other side, uh, there's a population of people that just think, oh, my God, Hillary is not trustworthy and Sanders is a socialist. So how insulated are we from the insufficiencies of the president?
1: Well, one would hope that in a nation of a third of a billion people, you could distill better candidates than all <laughs> of those. This is all we got. It, this
0: is the best we got, man. This is the, we're down to survive. the final ten.
1: Um, the, the good news is that Mr. Madison built for you an outstanding constitution with proper checks and balances. So it's legislative supremacy. Nothing is enacted into law that that isn't passed by both houses of Congress. And if they disagree about details, there has to be a conference committee... And then they have to vote again on the on the the compromise law. So this really slows things down and allows um, good sense to prevail. And the president has very little authority under our constitution to do things by himself. And if he does things that upset the Congress and violate the Constitution, he can be impeached. And impeachment is a Is a process that has not been successfully used in your history, but it's certainly there awaiting you if you ever need it. And even better, because of Mr. Madison's genius, the worst thing that can happen is that the president serves for four bad years. It's not a lifetime. It's not life tenure as we have on the Supreme Court. It's not like the kingships of England or France where someone serves for life. If you don't like President X, let's say the worst of the five in your mind, is elected in November. Four years from now, he'll retire into a foundation, into a private life, into speeches all over the country. But you, he will not have to cut off his head to get rid of him. He will depart.
0: Well, it seems like the presidents have more power today than you're describing. I mean, Trump says we're going to cut the head off of ISIS. And I don't know what that means, but Ted Cruz said, we'll carpet bomb them, we'll turn Syria into glass. And I know that's metaphor, but but if if these guys... I, I kind of get the feeling they would be able to do some of that, and if nothing else, that sends such a violent message. I think it makes us vulnerable. Um, they they want to the, the, the first thing any of them would do would be get rid of Obamacare. Maybe that'll make some people happy, but you know what? Um, it's working real well for my family and a lot of other people. So I'm like, holy crap! If Donald Trump or Ted Cruz became president, there goes my son's insurance. You know, I'm screwed. Thank you very much.
1: Well, I think that you will find that these candidates, if they are elected, someone will be elected, maybe not one of the five you mentioned. But whoever is elected will uh, move very rapidly into a greater sense of caution and realism that campaign rhetoric is one thing. Uh, but behavior as the leader of the country is, is quite a different thing. And and the president doesn't act alone. He has a cabinet, and he has advisors, and there are, there are people from permanent bureaucracies like the FBI and the CIA and the NSA and so on, and they will brief the new president. And I think within a few days he will find that he actually has very little power whatsoever, and the campaign rhetoric will begin to be something of an embarrassment to him. But you will... Under any circumstances, you will survive this. Here's what bothers me about this cruise. He keeps talking about the Judeo-Christian intentions of the founding fathers. I don't know who he's talking about, John. Now, John Adams was not a, a a person who believed in Judeo-Christian values. He was a deist and a Unitarian like myself. George Washington was effectively a deist. Franklin was a free thinker. I was a deist. There were Christians, of course, and very serious ones amongst the founding fathers. But we did not have an intent to make a Judeo-Christian nation. And even if we did, there should be a separation of church and state so that a, a political candidate should talk about tax policy and foreign policy and infrastructure and economic development and not about matters of religion. Those are private um private matters for every citizen to work out for himself. And government has no right to play a role in our religious lives.
0: That's where Donald Trump got caught lately. He is not, I don't think, an especially religious person, but he knows how important the religious trappings are for candidates. And so he has made two mistakes publicly about faith right now. He was reading from the Bible and quoted two Corinthians. He read it that way. And then this past week, they were uh, passing a communion tray of some sort. And he thought it was the offering plate. And so he got out some money to put on the plate where the the, 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 the host
1: would be. And that caused him some embarrassment, too. Well, but- as, as it should, because if you, take the, the, if you take the Eucharist seriously, to put filthy lucre on that plate. Dropped a, dropped a couple of 20s on
0: there. Here, <laughs> it's, to keep form, you?
1: it's a form of blasphemy, and if Jesus <laughs> were able to see this, uh, he would he would whip uh, Mr. Trump out of the temple as he well, did. The
0: poor, but he knows he's got to play that game. It's important to demonstrate some sort of piety if you want to get elected these
1: days. I thought it was best much earlier in the campaign when he was asked what his favorite book was, and he said the Bible, and then he was asked to name a verse, and he couldn't. That gave me some happiness as a... 18th century deist he said it was a
0: great book it was a great book
1: <laughs> but he hadn't a single verse in mind so you know he's it's a demagogic thing and my, and here's what i think is the takeaway for your listeners john in my era we actually were more free thinking about these things than you are in yours in other words i as a deist a deist believes there is a god but jesus is probably not the christ in my era, I could be a deist and survive politically. I doubt that any of your major candidates could say publicly, I'm a deist, and I have considerable doubts about the um, the divinity of Jesus. If any one of them spoke that way, that would be the end of their candidacy.
0: Well, that's the point. You know, that's the break that we should probably give Donald Trump. He's not maybe particularly religious. I think Bernie Sanders is a, lives a largely secular life, but um, you know, we are so we are so wanting to put them in a religious box, at least at the, you know, in the preliminary stages where we are now, that they're either going to look not sufficiently religious or they get caught in these embarrassing little traps. And and too bad for Donald Trump, right? It's okay to not be an extraordinarily religious person, but you've got to play this game for the rest of us and the cameras. And it it, and I, I felt bad for him, to be honest with you.
1: I did, too, as a as a believer in, in authenticity and transparency. So if he had said, you know, I'm not a particularly religious person. My favorite book is a novel by Lawrence Stern or whatever. I would have had greater respect for him because I think what the American people want is honesty and integrity, not some sort of lip service or demagogic willingness to say what they think people want to hear. Or if he were truly a, a devout Christian and said... The Bible is my favorite book. I, I can't imagine leading my life without the principles that Paul outlined in, in 2 Corinthians. I would also have respect for him because that meant that he was speaking from the heart and not in some sort of a politically opportunistic way. And so the fact of the hypocrisy that we force our candidates into in your time to make them pretend to be more religious than they might be is a is something we have no right to do first, and it, it then puts them in this awful position of saying things that everyone knows are hollow, and that means that we can't necessarily trust the other things that they might say about their policies and their outlook.
0: I'll let you get back to your gardens and your bottles of wine, and um, I think you've got an exciting game of chess coming up later this afternoon. So. Don't
1: you want to ask me what my favorite book is?
0: Hey, Mr. Jefferson, what is your favorite book? <laughs>
1: Homer's Iliad. Yeah. Uh, Will that play in Iowa?
0: (laughs) Well, uh, if it makes you happy, that's fine. I'm just backing away from your Super Bowl party or the idea that if I showed up at your house, it would be a rip-roaring good time. If you you came
1: to my house, I would serve you very fine wine and beautiful French cuisine, and then we could read passages aloud from Don Quixote after supper. (music) SEIN <music> den